This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Gimmick by Bark Market. You know, in a lot of ways, it's kind of ahead of its time. And, I, you know, as many times as I've listened to the record, I still can't probably scream along with a section. I think you have to be in the mood for it. You're not going to throw this on Sunday morning. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I am your host, Tim Minichi. Joining me once again... Jason Diak. Jay, mm. got a special guest again. We do? We do. Joining us from across the city of Columbus on the iChat, once again, Neil Schmidt. Neil, say hello. This is where I glide in on my shoes and go, hello. Yes, if we were doing <laughs> laugh-in circa 1967, that's how you would, that's how you would appear. My radio entrance. I don't need to give uh, Neil's bona fides. We've already done that. Neil is a um, master of the mixing board. A uh, professor of the... I'm trying to think of different alliterations that I can come up with. But I'm going to stop right there. Let's just get into this. Let's, let's, let's get into this album because this was a long-suggested or long-waiting suggestion from one Mr. Sean Michael Foster uh, via Facebook. He suggested this months ago. He said, you got to review Bark Market. And we aim to please the um, few listeners out there that take the time to actually, you know, give us suggestions. So we're finally getting down to it, and we're going to review Bark Market. Guys, were you familiar with Bark Market before taking on this quest? Uh, I was not. And I will say that... uh... The bar has been set pretty high for uh, listener suggestions, so. It's true. Feel bad for you, Sean. (laughs) Neil, how about you? Vaguely familiar. uh, And I remember, what I remember is not, uh, I remember two things. One, not really liking the band at the the time it was introduced to me. And two, uh, one of the album covers with the, uh, not the one we're reviewing tonight, but the one with uh, the pulled back teeth, kind of a gross really shocking album cover and those are my two that's what i remember and so it was nice to revisit this record and be surprised well uh-oh wait uh-oh that's easy he, think he's tea he's, uh, spoiler spoiler that's called a, that's spoiler. called a tease for our, our oh, segment okay. coming up but first we're going to get into our patented you know what history of the band history of the band Bark Market was formed in New York City, another New York City band, Jay, in 1987. Oh, I know, what's with this? You should have been able to smell that a mile away, right? Yeah, yeah, I could. They but were definitely we've from just, a coast. I definitely... We've just done a lot of New York City bands. Yeah. It's almost as if they have a lot of people there. <laughs> and musicians, it's strange. Yeah. Uh, and, and labels and... Labels and places clubs. to play. And, yeah. So, Bark Market formed with, uh, the, the lineup, I guess for the entire time, was singer-guitarist and songwriter Dave Sardi, bass guitarist John Nolan, and drummer Rock Savage. I do not wow. know his real name, but if that's his real name, that's pretty awesome. Is he related to Viv Savage? I think they're Keyboard distant. player of Spinal Tap? Yeah, there might be distant cousins. 
or Rick Savage, bass player from Def Leppard. What is Viv Savage's quote from the end of Spinal Tap? Have a good time. All the time. All the time. That's his life. That's his creed. His life motto. Good advice. Yeah. So in 1986, which that doesn't make sense. They said it formed in 87, but then the notes say they started in 86. Let's, let's, let's just ignore that. They released an independently recorded demo simply called Bark Market. And then in 1987, they recorded and released 1-800-GOD-HOUSE on four-track cassette. They were signed to Purge Sound League uh, label in New York City and recorded... Their second album, Easy Listening, in 1989, that was when the band moved to Triple X Records, and the band recorded Vegas Throat, which Is came that a out. label we should know? No. Okay. These are all really small, like, hardcore, punk, indie labels in New York City that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, they released Vegas Throat in 1992, which featured... Um, Contributions from avant-garde uh, guitarist Mark Rabot, who I have no information on, just as avant-garde jazz guitar. In 93, they released the album that we are reviewing, Gimmick. That was an interesting, um, and Neil, you'll especially be interested in this. There's an interesting progression that the band made, which Dave Sardi, the singer and songwriter, said it was purposeful. They recorded their first album on four track, they recorded their second album on 8-track. They recorded their third album on 16-track. And then Gimmick is recorded on 24-track. And then their final album, which is called Visible Cow, came out. They, they said they were going to go back to 4-track. And that's what they did. Actually, it's called um, L. Ron. I'm sorry, not Visible Cow. Uh, L. Ron came out in 1996, and that was all recorded on 4-track. So they sort of made a conscious effort to expand their recording horizons each time and then bring it back when they knew the band was basically done to bring it back to the original format some notes vegas throat attracted the interest of rick rubin and bark market was one of the first groups signed to american recordings which re, uh, re-released vegas throat and then issued gimmick and an ep after that they also then released, around this time, the Peacekeeper EP on the label Man's Ruin. Since the band broke up in 97, Dave Sardi has become an in-demand producer and mixer for bands such as System of a Down, Marilyn Manson, Wolf Mother, Helmet, and Quicksand, and has even worked on uh, bands, uh, larger bands such as Oasis and The Thrills. Um, and he's also done some film composing work for the movies 21 and Zombieland. And that got him a feature in Composers Monthly. So, that's how... He also did the band Jet. He did? Oh, okay. Yeah, I I can see that. The Be My Girl is Dave Sardi. I'm pretty sure. In fact, I will double-check that. Please do. We don't want any factual errors on the podcast. (laughs) We'll get get arrested. Yes. I hate... (laughs) I hate making uh Yeah, Dave Sardi producer, are you going to be my girl? There you go. That so, was a huge hit. That was a huge... I'm sure that he has probably made more money as a producer and mixer than he did oh, at being a I think that's pretty easy to determine at this point. So that's it for Bark Market, the history of 
this New York City band. Um, like you guys, I was really not familiar with this band at all. So I'm, I'm glad that Sean brought this to us because I think it's an interesting um, band in terms of the other New York bands that we've reviewed, such as Quicksand and Helmet. Mm -hmm. And sort of fits into that sort of area, but then they also do some different things. So, Jay, let's start with you. Uh, what were your brief first impressions of uh, Bark Market? Refresh my memory. If I'm going to get back in my time machine, mm -hmm. go back to when this album was made, what year am I going to? So this came out in 93, so it was probably recorded in 92. Okay. It's pretty interesting. I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of ways it, it's kind of ahead of its time in terms of taking hardcore and combining it with some... I guess some some musical structures and sounds that aren't necessarily always hardcore, but vocally it's I think pretty close to that. Um, I, I heard a lot of Nine Inch Nails in this band. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was on purpose or just the way he sings or or what, but um, and I even heard a lot of later day like more recent Nine Inch Nails kind of stuff. Right. Um, obviously not musically, but just vocally. There are some some musical parts that could be like Nine Inch Nails, but um, obviously minus any keyboards. I guess Nine Inch yeah, Nails was the, that's was the big a band. thing. There's no there's no keyboards really. Right, but like there's just some of the dynamics and some of the way he sings and the intensity at times and the melodies. I kept thinking of uh, of Nine Inch Nails throughout this. It gets a little grating after a while. I mean, his voice, the intensity of his voice. By the time you get maybe three quarters through the way, way through the album, it becomes, you know, it, I'm sort of full. I'm all full of a uh, of bark market, but I think it starts really strong. I think the first uh, three songs are really, really cool. Um, you know, it's it's one of those albums where the more you listen to it, the more stuff you pick up on, and the more stuff you hear, um, the more structure you hear. You know, my so my first impression was I heard some some um hooky little elements in the songs but i had a really hard time discerning like structure like are we in a chorus or you know you know what's going on or is this another verse is this a i couldn't quite make it out i think the more you listen to it you can start picking up on it more and more it's produced really really interesting it's like kind of distant in a in a weird way which you would think with the intensity they're bringing to the album that everything would be in your face especially the guitars but they're kind of not his vocal is definitely in your face but like the guitars it's kind of even hard to pick up like pick up on guitar tone for me because it seems like the guitars are so far back in the mix i guess and even the drums are kind of like that like it's they're kind of affected in a weird way so it's kind of it's an interesting mix i mean for being 93 ish it's kind of not typical for what I would think of of that time frame for how to produce a record. Neil, did you pick um, up on that? What he's saying with regards to the to the mix? Uh, I, not not distant. Um, you know, I think it's it falls in that same Steve Albini sort of roomy sound. The drums are definitely, um, you know, have some ambience in that. I mean, this is this is a album might, uh, mighty mighty tones. That's for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I don't disagree with you, Jay, about it. And and I was wondering if that was just me, a product of age, or uh, or this sort of like single mentality of 
listening to so many songs in a row like i think all these records that you guys review i think i'd feel that way about eight or nine songs in and so sometimes yeah. i have to listen to the album backwards to make sure that i'm giving the, the back end of a feel you know and i know i'm playing with order and stuff but that's not you know, a bad idea no and and to do that because i think the shill is probably one of my favorite actually the last two songs are probably two of my favorite songs on there But I don't disagree that I, that you're, I've had my fill of Bark Market. It's hard for me to sustain that sort of uh, angst for that long. Um, it's definitely, uh, the, you know, the guitar tones are so, like, angular and bitey, and they're like dueling swords, you know? And that bass tone is amazing. So Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Uh, on track two, Whipping Boy, the, the bass tone is just, it's, like, perfect. I mean... It's it's both heavy and gets this like nice trebly like mid range to it, and it's just like got everything you would want in like a really cool hardcore hard rock metal bass tone. And you, you bring that out every once in a while where that like the guitar will drop down and it'll just be like the bass and the drums playing together. You do that throughout a couple of the songs. I just hold your teeth in. Don't cry out. brought the shill you know i think uh um i agree i think it it's sort of the album starts strong then it gets a little weak and then there's a couple gems at the end and that song that song in particular i think is a good example of kind of everything they do well coming together into one song um so it kind of has the most melody i guess vocally of any a song um there's even some and that's a, a loose word there's not a lot of melody going on but but yeah it's, it's which is which is tough, and so you know, again, to jump on what you said, Jay, about like part what parts of the songs we are. I mean, that there, 
that's all kind of thrown out the window, you know. Um, there are repeating parts, but it's like, you know, it's the hook, chorus, verses, bridges, you know, like all kind of. In, in, some, in some ways, it's hard to hang your hat on something, and that makes it some some ways tough to kind of like, because if there was a part that I could, and I, you know, as many times as I've listened to the record, I still can't probably scream along with a section like the way I can with, like, you know, a Fugazi song like Waiting Room, which is probably a little before this, but sort of in that, and Drive Like Jehu and Jesus Lizard and those kind of bands, like, they still have songs where I can scream the chorus and I get super excited about that part, and like they went out of their way to make sure that he's screaming, but you're not really supposed to scream along. Right. I think the, the, the well, I think the thing that he's doing, in lieu of having um, a, a really strong hook or melody, he's bringing a lot of personality to the way he's singing. For sure. And I think when you aren't the best songwriter in terms of the hooks and the memorable chorus, that can sort of take the place in a lot of instances is when you have a guy who's delivering these like you know either really sardonic like kind of crazy lines he's playing around with a lot of words and, and rhyme schemes and stuff like that that aren't there's a little bit more like humor and something that you wouldn't find in like a lot of other hardcore bands whereas it's not like it's all depressing and angsty there's a lot of um there's a lot more thought going into the lyrics. Maybe more thought needed to go into the melodies, but there's a lot more thought going into the lyrics than a lot of other similar bands from this sort of genre, which I liked. It, it made it a little more tolerable when they did get repetitive. Without being as personal as the Nine Inch Nails stuff, though, the night, you know, and I, and I, it's funny you said that because I don't really, I didn't hear, I didn't notice that, but I can kind of see that sort of similarity, especially the the vocals being kind of dry and and really compressed. Um, mm-hmm. Very similar delivery, but whereas uh, the Nine Inch Nail stuff, he'll draw you in. Um, I think a lot of the lyrics on this record were you, um, and if he was saying me, it was sort of pardon my bad taste. I think is one of the lines, but a lot of it was was pointed at someone else, which would be the listener. So sometimes you're sp- you're supposed to be off, but you're not supposed to be invited in. Right. Um, yeah, he definitely does not draw you in. <laughs> he keeps you at arms arms length the entire album. And just slaps you, just yeah. <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> I, I had a. You guys mentioned, you know, Nine Inch Nails, and and Neil, you just mentioned a little bit ago, Jesus Lizard and Fugazi. I heard a lot of bands when trying to pinpoint like who these guys sounded like. I heard, like you mentioned, Jesus Lizard, Fugazi, Nine Inch Nails. There's a little bit of those elements. I heard a little bit of Jawbox. I heard a little bit of Deftones. Um, even bands like Therapy and um, Big Black, even uh, there's just there's tiny elements, and I'm not saying any of these bands that they were influenced by them or that these bands influenced this band, this you know Bark Market. But if you are like if you're someone who is really into Jesus Lizard, you have they're all good. Market. Jawbox is a good one, yeah. Yeah, and, and Jawbox. There's like there's there's some like angular guitar stuff going on here. In certain elements of the uh, percussion, and which we need to get to that because the drummer's like a machine, <laughs> and that's not just because they sound industrial at times. I mean, he's like, and that, maybe that's part of the reason is because of the way they recorded it, because it's so, I don't know, it seems like it's it's almost like loops at times, but I know it's a real drummer playing, 
Um, I'm not sure if there's some sort of effect that they're using. I know they're using distortion on some of the drums. Um, but other than that... Yeah, I think stuff? particularly on the snare drum, they're a fa- pretty common technique. We uh, we were always fans of the rap pedal uh, with the, the snare drum sent to the rap pedal and then brought back up on a fader and combined with the with the other drums. And that's, a, that's very reminiscent of what is going on here. And the rap pedal does... It produces... What sort of sound? It's a distortion pedal made for guitar. Okay. Uh, but we would hook it up. And I even think, I, 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 it, it probably all comes back to Bark Market, honestly, because uh, from for Columbus, um, you know, there are a couple bands in Columbus that were hugely influenced by Bark Market, and they recorded at Workbook. So um, it probably all came back around to that anyway. You want to name drop those bands? <laughs> Well, uh, the Evil Queens in particular yeah. were huge fans of Bark Market. So, and I, you know, a couple listens, and it was like, oh, um, is it? Uh, I think it's even right from Easy Chair. You can hear that distorted drum. You know, that's how the record starts. Whereas all the drums are distorted, I think it's really heavily. And then there's some, you know, there's some crosstalk and some other things that are sucked into that snare drum sound that are distorted. But, you know, and then you got this big, fat, distorted bass. I mean, right from Easy Chair, like it. And I think as as a as a uh, when this record came out, let's see, I was probably into the '93. So Nirvana and stuff was really happening, but but part of me was also still like way into like the Brit pop stuff that was going on. So. You know, it was probably a little too much for me. I'm not, I wasn't that angry at that age. <laughs> and I think that's, are, are, and that's, I think that's a big part of it. Well, that's definitely... Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I would not have been into it then, but I actually, like, I can appreciate it a lot more now because it reminds me of some bands I like now, like Gallows and The Bronx and, like, sort of, I guess, modern hardcore mixed with, you know, sort of pop, hard, alt-rock bands. You were saying about the anger. You want to play? Was, we were both saying how we enjoy oh, the record, but we were not that angry. So what? you can come, come to it and not have to feel like you want to tear things apart. But it's a good, you know, I've, I've listened to this record while I was, you know, on the bike pushing up some pretty heavy hills. And I was like, I'm in the wrong song. I need Bark Market. <laughs> I, can, I can use it as fuel. This would be a good workout album. Definitely. Some of it. Do you guys, yeah, that radio do you guys, that radio static song can go away. That's for sure. Yeah, I you know was going to mention is that. that. Uh, that sounds like um, uh, if Johnny Cash was a robot. <laughs> like the way the, vo- the the way the computer voice is delivered. I'm like, in a weird way, this could be like kind of like a Johnny Cash song. While he calculates just how much looks the big on his face, and the grass won't tell. How he made this belt from his wet hide in a moment appear. 
Sign these guys, and then Rick Rubin did all those Johnny Cash albums. That's an interesting signing. I mean, Rick Rubin, you know, I mean, he always, I mean, he's got a definitely an eye towards things commercial. And listening to this record, and, and Gimmick is the one with the, the crazy teeth cover, if you want to Google that. That's a, I mean, uh, not Gimmick, what was the other record that they did? We were talking about Vegas Throat. Yeah. Um, that's got a, a horrific album cover. Um, I can't imagine listening to this record and being. And thinking, this is going to sell like crazy. There's just no way. But, you know, in some ways, some of these bands did well. Drive Like Jay, who never was able to break through. But those guys then went on to other projects that were a lot pretty commercial. Jawbox had a much more melodic tinge to what was going on and was able to um, sort of have some minor hit, you know, with, uh, I think, Savory was... And their cover of uh, the Tori Amos on Cornflake Girl, you know, got them some notoriety. And that was sort of the melodic stuff. That, this, these guys were never going to give you a hook like Jawbox was going to. And in Nine Inch Nails, they were able to deliver this sort of attitude, but then also were able to dial it back other times and sort of, you know, come in with the real, like, singing with the teeth closed and, like, whispering in your ears, kind of creepy. And then Unleashed this kind of fury in a chorus, but with a melodic cook where these guys were just, you know, constantly, it sounds like sharpening knives, like two knives, like, you know, that shink, 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 shink. There's a lot of that sound when I, when I hear this record. And that was never going to sell. So it's interesting that Rick Rubin, you know, I, I think he could see the influence of what was going to happen, but I can't imagine that he was really thinking this, this was going to sell. Well, around this time, hadn't he just done, like, Blood Sugar Sex Magic? Wasn't this, like... The early 90s. That was after. That was a little after this. Oh, I mean, that was, was when I was in high school. Was it? But yeah. again, a record full of hooks, you know? He also, I'm just wondering... He also, did, he also did Slayer. Right. I'm just wondering if he thought that he was like, There's I that. can do anything I want right now, and I really like this band. So, you know, and a personality might play a lot into it. If he met Dave Sardi at a show, it was like, I think this guy is absolutely, you know, awesome on stage, and he's, like, fun to work with. That might have made as much of an impact on him as, as the music. Yeah. And and as a as a tastemaker, you know, Dave Sardi, this record, you know, and something you you know, some of the records that you guys continue to review, it's I, I wonder if this record influenced lots of other people and I know it came up with the Red Cross record and some other things and, and you know, I I mean, I personally know bands that were influenced by this record and I, I wonder how much of a it, it was a little later than I thought it would be. But blood sugar, blood, excuse me, blood sugar, sex magic is '91. So, yeah. but Dave Sardi then was able to take sort of, okay, maybe not the songwriter that's gonna, um, you know, topple the world with his delivering his lyrics, but take a band like with Jet. Are you gonna be my girl? I mean, that that record is really raw in a really fun way. You know, you can hear the the guitar hiss. You know, and the breakdowns and to the noise and the 
the, the lip smacking on the vocals. I mean, it was, you know, harking back to that sort of ACDC, which is, you know, in, in sort of an updated way. And, and, you know, like that attitude of being able to bring that, that seems like a really nice fit. Um, I don't think it worked on the second record. I don't think they had any hits um, with that second record. But the first record, I mean, that Are You Gonna Be My Girl, that got played everywhere, you know. And I love that song. I love the way that that was produced. Um, well, all the ways that you describe that, those are all things that come across on this record. I mean, the it's it's performance oriented. So like you can hear the singer performing, and you can hear the guitars. Like you could tell, like every time they play those guitar parts, they weren't the same way. Like each time they were a little bit different. I mean, it's all it's got like kind of a looseness to it, and a it sounds like individual performances. You know, kind of captured. It doesn't sound like. You know everything's exactly on and exactly the same time every take they did and like there's some parts where he gets right up on the mic and you can hear every breath and every lip smack and every like it's kind of part of it becomes part of the song which is uh obviously something that he took forward as a producer right but he didn't produce this for help correct uh, uh no he didn't well let me double check I'd be surprised if you had someone else at the controls. Yeah, Ruben didn't work on this. It would have been Sardi that actually did the producing. Uh, yeah. Ruben got him signed, so they were they were signed to American at this time. But Ruben wasn't involved in that. I mean, I'm sure he stopped by and said, that sounds good. About it. Yeah, that's. he also produces that way. <laughs> yeah, I've he, heard he's that. He's done some stuff where he's in the room and he does some other things where he's just... Yeah, just mail me something and I'll let you know if it's any good or not. <laughs> so, so we've kind of covered a little bit about perhaps, I mean, this is 93. I'm going to get into why this band wasn't bigger. But even though the quote-unquote alternative explosion had happened, this band was still not what you would consider to be a part of that. Um, they're still a little too hard and raw and noisy, I think. You know, if you think about what was on the radio, you're talking about Alice in Chains and, and Pearl Jam and Nirvana and those bands, Soundgarden, and none of those bands are as abrasive as this band, at least not in, their, in that form. You know, Soundgarden, you could make the case, was, but that was in 87 and 88 when they were making you know, the really early stuff. So even the, even the alternative bands that had broken through at this point were much more radio friendly well i feel like musically like it's not far off from a lot of those bands you know like i said i don't know my impression of the music wasn't necessarily it was harsh it was really his vocal delivery which is it's not it's unlike any of those bands and both from a intensity standpoint but even like he has sort of a flow of consciousness kind of vocal delivery where you know just a lot of words and just kind of Know, just very fluid and that was very nobody was doing that then you know that wasn't bands didn't really start doing anything like that until later in the 90s um and now it's, it's a little bit more popular but it was yeah i mean musically though i i, I don't think it's too i mean there's some p- parts in some songs here i sort of wrote down that it reminded me a little bit of alice in chains but um just vocally it's completely different and from a songwriting standpoint. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get the Allison Chains things, but that's okay. 
I heard a lot of deaf tones. I don't know why. That was the, that was the, when I when that hit me. I was like, oh, there's a lot of like deaf tone sounding stuff um, in his vocal delivery, especially. But maybe that's just me. One thing I did want to mention was the two instrumental tracks, which are well, not so, so totally instrumental, but tracks five and we brought up Radio Static, track nine. I kind of feel like if those weren't on the record, or if maybe one of them was just like an unlisted bonus track, this having only ten songs might be a little more palatable. Guys, oh yeah, I think I think almost every record out there could be edited, certainly. So those those two could, you know. And again, I don't know if that's a product of our time, or I'm just tired of, you know, after eight or nine songs, I'm ready to the break you know and maybe that's what radio stack was supposed to be a little bit of a break from the onslaught it's still pretty onslaughty it's still yeah. got like noise and uh but or dialogue. like it would have been nice if they were going to do something different as a sort of an album track kind of thing it would have been nice if maybe on those songs they kind of brought the intensity down a notch just to kind of let you take a breath um which i guess you know maybe they're slower but they're still noisy and strange they just seem filler so yeah. you, you could definitely cut those out and it, it, it wouldn't be missing anything yeah um track seven curio is the one that i had the allison chains note on so. oh i know i see what you're saying because it starts out kind of slow yeah. yeah the intro does gotcha okay well there's I... also some with some bluesy elements on here we didn't nobody mentioned that but almost like i'm, I'm saying like Robert Johnson kind of blues. Yeah, like, I picked it up that on one. Like, it's got like that that kick, or it's like a stomp. It's almost like a kick drum, but it sounds more like somebody's like stomping on the floor. Are you talking about track three, Static? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a dirge. Some old crank on your water, they say. It tills his crop on your pay dirt and won't play him. It begs the moon for the next sun to return while we calculate just how much book to make on his fate. From his great height in a moment of pure self-help Black and tan as every good boy said As the proof of your metal runs straight through that exit run That he left on this vocal's land I can't stand All your wiles and That is interesting. There's, well, because he kind of uses banjo in a couple places. Yeah, yeah, I heard that too. I wasn't quite sure if that was what I was hearing or not, but I wrote it down and I couldn't quite make out if if it was banjo or just some weird guitar tuning or what the hell was going on. But there's definitely some like old, like blues, like real authentic dirty blues influence on this, which is really strange. That's kind of like when those moments happen. That's when it gets really interesting to me. And, um, makes me take notice. 
more so than when they get super loud and super rocking, which to me just starts to sound like, you know, what I would expect, I guess. So my suggestion would be take the two instrumental tracks and delete them and then just listen to the rest of this record. Uh, and I and that is my recommendation because I think it's a good record. I think it has its. I think you have to be in the mood for it. You're not gonna throw this on Sunday morning uh, <laughs> when you wanna, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you're rolling out of bed. Yeah, no. It's good to have uh, in, in the random rotation, maybe on a. You ready for some road rage? Yeah. Turn up, yeah. pack it off, and and go driving. <laughs> hey man, when I'm stuck in, stuck in traffic. And that comes on, I crank it. Yeah, I think I, I think you know someone, you know, you could play the first twenty-five or thirty seconds of Hack It Off, first, you know, the beginning of Easy Chair, and you know that would be a pretty good indication. Do you like this? If you checked yes, then you want to hear this record. <laughs> if you check no, move along. There's nothing, you know what I mean? Like, pretty easy to to say like this is the flavor. If you like the flavor, and they, you know that's, you know, and it's interesting because you know the record that. You know, this, some of the records, again, you visited, Swerve Driver, you know, like, kind of the flavor, you either like it or you don't. There's not a whole lot of variation throughout this record, you know, it's not going to be the next, you know, sometimes you hear the, there's a band that has a single and you're like, yes, oh, that single's awesome, and and people are like, yeah, the rest of the record sounds nothing like that. Now, yeah, we, we've had a couple of those albums. Hack it off, and if you like that, keep going. And if you're interested in awesome production, listen to this record. You know, if you're interested in thunderstorms and amazing floor toms, humongous bases, yeah. You know, this is a really good record for if you're like struggling for some attitude in the studio. You know, this would be a record like, what are they doing? Let's do that. Yeah, yeah. Good call. And good news is that it's available on Spotify, so it's sort of free to listen to. There you go. There you go. Sign up to, to Spotify, and you can listen to this. You can also go to our website and. Uh, find the link where you can uh, buy it through Amazon. The MP3s are available for purchase. I'm sure you can find some CDs out there uh, used for pretty cheap. Um, you said this was on American? Yep, American Recordings. Yeah. Huh. I'm not familiar with what they actually put out other than like the Black Crows and those Johnny Cash albums. I'm sure we'll yeah, end up I'll reviewing more of their bands. Because they're a record label that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. We seem to find those. Uh, we need to thank Sean Michael Foster for bringing this to our attention. This was a good one. Uh, I think all around we um, we have found a place for Bark Market in our rotations. Not our Sunday morning coffee house rotation, but definitely our um, workout and road rage rotation. <laughs> it's like my road mate road rage play playlist. I gotta make my road rage <laughs> iTunes list. Yes. When I when I get stuck in uh, traffic, I tell my the sync system on my Ford, please play road rage mix. <laughs> then this comes up. All right, we well, guys, thank Neil for joining us on this episode. Thanks for coming on and discussing Bark Market with us, Neil. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback?
feedback, join the conversation about this episode. Visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. recorded that that will be in the podcast <laughs>